Hey everybody, this is Petey from the Spin Rack, and we also have Calvin Ellis, ready to rock. I'm going to hand over the con to Calvin. Will you want to lead us off in this thing? Sure. We're doing Fantastic Four? We're doing the Fantastic Four and Challengers of the Unknown number three. All right. Okay, so this is uh, more, what's the right word for it? uh le like legendary rumor supposedly the i the the rumor okay or the legend goes that the fantastic four is based off of the story that appears in challengers of the unknown number three now in challengers of the unknown number three which was i believe written and illustrated by jack kirby you can correct me if i'm wrong on that oh, oh hold, on, hold on hold on let me um i can give you who wrote it in this book I have here, um, let's see. It is unknown. It is unknown. They're not sure. It could be Kirby. It could be Dave or Dick Wood. It could be one of the people in the DC stable, but it's unknown Ooh. who wrote that. All right. Okay. Well, that of course, that of course allows it to really get a lot of mileage, but there is some belief that the Fantastic Well. I'll be I'll be more brass tacks with it. The idea was that Stan Lee didn't create the Fantastic Four. That this was a Jack Kirby idea, one hundred percent. And then the the argument for it is that the Challenges of the Unknown number three features the Fantastic uh, the at least the, the prototype for the Fantastic Four. So if you read the story, one of the characters one of the characters ends up gaining superpowers. Okay, he, he goes to space, and when he comes back, he has four distinct abilities. He has fire projection, ice projection, size manipulation, and invisibility. That may sound very familiar. That may sound very familiar to all you cats out over there, and that was the basis for this particular rumor slash argument slash let's kick, let's kick Stan in the teeth one more time because you know, <laughs> then, you know, he never created anything. He stole everything from you know everyone. But you know the question poses well is how how much of this is actually there it, you know is the fantastic four a direct ripoff of what we saw in challenges of the unknown number three which was only which uh that issue came out of was it three years uh two three years before the fan it was 1958 so let's say three years before the fantastic four debuts is the other stuff that we heard where stan lee wanted to do you know he you know got the uh he, he got orders from on high from martin goodwin to do his own to do another version of the Justice League, and he said he wanted to write it a certain way. And his wife said, "Well, why don't you do that? Is all of that stuff just you know hogwash?" And it was pretty much just Kirby's idea from start to finish. And Stanley lifted it and ran with it. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. All right. So um, with that said, one of the particulars in this story um, is outside of the saying they're not sure who wrote it is that um, Rocky is sent up in space with an element. It's not the cosmic rays. He's sent up in space with an element that will help people in space adapt to any sort of um, environment. And that's where his powers derive from. He kind of, when he comes back, he um, is able, that's why he gets cold. If he needs the, the, the camouflage, he goes invisible. The blasts 
I can't really connect that to the Human Torch because the the Marvel Timely comic books had a Human Torch, so right. let's just X out that part. You can go to vi- Invisibility, maybe that sort of thing, but you can clearly see they're sending up in space with an element, and they sent a, a, a what's it a like a, a little monkey up in space with this element, and he was able to adapt, but then he went kind of nuts, right? He's kind of lost some memory while he went there and he hooks up with these nutty guys. And at the same time, he, there's a bunch of other powers that the Fantastic Four don't um, don't utilize at the same time. But at the same time, people look at the invisibility, he's shooting blasts from his hands, must be a creation of that. Now, the one of the things that people don't always look at because they look at the challengers and they're like, hey, the challengers, look, they're in all the same uniforms. And um, there are four of them, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and not looking at it being just possibly just derivative, just saying, oh, I'm giving these guys uniforms too. I'm giving the, well, actually the FF didn't have uniforms when they started. Stan no, didn't, didn't want them to. He wanted them to be in regular clothes and even a thing. He wears a trench coat all the time. Right. Their uniforms don't debut into what? Uh, Fantastic Four 3? Yep. Fantastic Four three, and then the thing, of course, will you know his will change. It will change over time. But again, see, and this is where uh, this is where people start to run aground. The fact that the Fantastic Four has uniforms, and then you see that the challenges of the unknown also have uni- also have uniforms. And remind you, the, fa- the challenges of the unknown. This is just that they were only like, they were created three years before. That's only issue three in nineteen fifty eight. So it's not that much p- time between the two of them. The question you want to ask is well. Were there any other teams, any other books where you had guys running around and they all wore uniforms to identify themselves before the challenges of the unknown? The answer, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You you can go back to the golden age and find this type of stuff. So this isn't something, again, it's more, this is definitely more derivative. It's something that works like Superman's uniform, like Superman's outfit. And, you know, just gets, it just gets adapted. Because again, all of that goes back to him anyway. You know, they're all in the uniform trunks. Okay, so no issue right over there. I always thought that Rocky and the abilities that he displayed were more of an influence on the Super Scroll than they were on the actual Fantastic. But then they were the Fantastic Four. Like, hey, we get the Super Scroll, and he has all their he has all their particular abilities, and it works because he's an alien. So you know, you can actually you know, I don't think they were probably going that deep in the thought into it but we can actually have somebody who can maintain all four of these abilities without having, without having to explain too much why since scrolls can take any particular shape and we can just voice them on here that was thought that was close that was closer to it but then i mean you have the distinct differences in terms of the story with the four going up the cosmic rays coming you know they come back uh, you made a really good point with the human torch already being uh somebody who had been in the marvel stable so you can't count that if anything then you have to say, well, hey, they lifted, they lifted the human torch. So they just took them, you know, they just took the human torch back at the end of the day. Size manipulation doesn't really apply to Mr. Fantastic. That is more of a plastic man, elongated man feature, if anything. And then you have invis- invisibility is this is not the first character to be invisible. This is not the first character to be invisible either. So these are uh, for lack of a better term, these are public domain ability. These are public domain abilities where you can pretty much do what you you can pretty much do what you like with them. You also want to look at the stuff that happened with a character, say like the Invisible Girl, where her initial 
ability of being invisible is definitely expanded with the force field and then the ability to create these invisible objects, uh, things that would go on with the torch and the, the uh, you know, that Mr. Fan, you know, Mr. Fantastic's ability, uh, their abilities seem to represent more the, the, the traditional four elements. But Mr. Fantastic's major thing that he brings to the table is not necessarily his ability to manipulate his body and stretch, but his intellect, which is a, a, a you know, which is clearly different than what's going on in the challenges, challenges of the unknown. The other big draw uh, that the challenges of the unknown were challengers without powers. And they were able to get through all of these situations with, uh, you know, they, they had the, what is it? You had the brain, you had, the, what is it? The, what's the four again? You have the brain, the ace, ace. Uh, the brawn, and the chick. So, well, not the know, chick. That was the name. Um, we talking about the challenges, right? Then you have, the, he's not, that's, a, he's a daredevil. He's kind of the daredevil. But the thing is, it's hard. Would, uh, the daredevil is the ace. So, oh, that's, that's, then you have, then you he'd have to be the pilot then, right? Yeah. Yeah, Red would be the daredevil, and then um, Ace would be the pilot, and uh, or you didn't. Then you just you just not you can't get rid of Red. Now one of the, uh, the I mean, I, were you still going? I was going to add something here um, with this with the thing about it. They're not really they don't. The hard part in looking at these guys in comparison to the FF right here, right? You got these guys. Is that? This is old school storytelling, right? And um, they draw from the same place. They draw from, what is it, The Lost Horizon. And I think Mar Mars was here, we talked a little bit about it, is that when you get to this pulp area, this of this type of stuff, of the, was it Swiss Family Robinson, that sort of thing, anything, the Sun Devils, any of that, they're all right. kind of drawing from the same pool. And you can see in this type of thing, Kind of pulling from but marvel is one takes it one step further when they do the fantastic four they're like hey <laughs> we're not only take the human torch and put this in there we're going to take the whole first justice league issue and we're going to borrow as much of that as we can we're going to take the framework where they're all doing something but they get the call they get there's a there's a call that's made out to them they meet up the same way the only difference is giving you the origin story because the other one there, they're facing Starro right after that. But yeah. um, in this and one, the they... idea, and that was directly the idea. This was supposed to be Marvel's Justice League. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why they were, you know, that's, you know, that's the history. That's on record. This was supposed, hey, look at that Justice League book over there. You know, Marvel did their normal thing. What is it? Hey, up Periscope. Let's see what's going on in the DC offices. Hey, look at that. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do that at the end of the day. And the okay. cover layout is the same. Only the thing is that they have five characters and Fantastic Four has four. But it's the right. layout of having them in that sort of same sort of space where you wonder why, why uh, Reed Richards is um, tangled, but you see the bo bottom characters kind of held by um, Starro, one of Starro's arms. So yeah, it's uh, at best you could call, I guess the, the, the best you could call it is an homage and at worst it's just out and out death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's, it's it's especially with the science fiction stuff. You know, every, people were gonna go. People were just gonna go to the uh, the tried and true stuff. And the, the 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 good thing about it, I would love to say, is that the Fantastic Four that issue is how they got started, and where they went from there was just all you know was was yeah all new territory. A, a lot of a lot of great stuff that happened in terms of their adventures and characters and so on and so forth. 
So there was just a lot more. Uh, that's definitely where they started, but it sure as heck is not where they ended up. Yeah. And the, the thing about the challengers, and this is not a knock, these are just guys of action. They're challenging. They're, the hook of the book is, you know, living on borrowed time. So whenever a, an event goes on, that's how Rocky got to go up in space. They draw straws and Rocky the one won. And right, he's going to take a chance of chancing his life <laughs> with this element. And then they find out, uh oh, the monkey died. What could happen to Rocky? So at the same time, the challenges also have a, when you brought up the female, they have a supporting character in June who's their, um, their computer technologist, right? But she's not an official member, but she's, she's pining to become a challenger the entire time. But at the same time, she's probably the most, um spunky character out of all of them even though she's kind of direct the rest of them are just men of action straightforward red isn't the hothead the only one that has a little bit of science to him is the professor professor haley but even he is pretty much just straightforward there's just a slight thing in his personality but this is before the time of personalities where people just went and did the action so, so you have even um ace who's kind of the leader he just may be slightly a little bit taller than the rest, but he is like they basically are a team of four guys and they're all chancing life where the Fantastic Four are more the classic heroes like the Justice League. They're out. There's something they get notified about this thing that's going on and they, they're here to help, not trying to chance their life, <laughs> you know, not trying to be more like daredevils and that sort of thing. So in the personalities, that's one thing we can't escape that having like you know johnny actually being a hot head he leaves the team in issue three you know ben is constantly fighting with them sue of course has her female moments where she's like upset about whatever it is you know reed is yelling at them from time they get in a fight in the first issue they, yeah they're, they're dysfunctional well i don't want to call them a, not, a dysfunctional wouldn't be wouldn't be fair they're uh you know they're a family yeah, okay, their family with the you know the two brothers who the, the older you know the older brother and the younger brother consistently you know bickering, worrying mom, you know mm -hmm. you know dad like what the hell is going <laughs> what the hell is going on? I got stuff to do. I got work to do over here. I can't keep watching you. You know I can't keep watching you guys. And it and it worked. You know it, it still it still works to this day. I mean especially the Johnny and uh, I remember reading some of the books just hoping for a prank between the two of them. Like Johnny would do something. And then, you know, see the whole, and then wondering, I wonder if the thing is actually going to catch him this time. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that, um, the thing that they, I think they almost did it so much that the rest of the Marvel universe kind of fed off of everything the Fantastic Four did, where the FF kind of in the seventies kind of became cliche because they've done everything. And then when you see the Avengers do it, you see the X-Men do it, or you see the new Teen Titans do the FF storytelling, just like, wow, new and great. <laughs> and then you go back to the Fantastic Four, you're like, wow, they kind of did everything. Like every, like even the mundane stuff that you see in the, like, cause it was it, like the, what's those things, the Incredibles, like having those mundane things of him walking around, crashing to the, the, trying to do regular stuff and it never works out because he's too big and cumbersome. So one of the things is that the, I know that we want to, we'd love to just give it to one guy and say that since Jack, well, the challenge is also an idea that was between um, Kirby and um, 
and Joe Simon. It's like one of the last, it was with all of their stuff that they were doing as far as their space things. And this is when they split up, he took this idea and he worked with his writers and, um, and himself coming up with his own stories. And of course, DC had stories that they were adding. I mean, basically it's like an assembly. They were trying to get stuff into this thing because they had a successful book and it seemed like it was all hands on deck trying to put this thing together. And, you know, Kirby says when he was working on it, like sometimes the, the, those other guys were kind of eccentric. It was kind of tough getting stories out of them. So that's why he was writing some of it. But I mean, ultimately they give all the credit to Kirby and then now, you know, I know he at this portion here, when the classic period, Kirby was doing a lot of heavy lifting, but let's not try to take everything away from Stan and say nothing. Because at the same time, we got Martin Goodman who's saying, hey, let's do, <laughs> let's copy this book. You know, we're not giving, and that's not, that's basically like a studio exec saying, hey, I want an A-team. And then they, someone comes up in a writer gets to create that portion though. The way the, the guild works, that the writer who comes up with it gets most of the credit. And the, obviously the, the studio exec gets a lot of the money, <laughs> you know, because he's, you know, he's producing it. He's the man behind it. So that, and that's the same with Martin Goodman. He's like, hey, do this. But all of that stuff has kind of been extracted saying, you know, because we've had interviews with um, Kirby or stuff he wrote down saying that, well, I did all this. And it's mostly, I mean, I know out of the bad feelings and a lot of people kind of being upset with Stan in general, saying, hey, so it kind of probably built the myth in his own head that he did everything. When he did a lot, I'm not trying to take anything from him because there's a lot of times even Stan, the one who told us that Kirby did a lot was Stan himself, you know? So it's not like he was saying, hey, a lot of plots came from him. Sometimes he told me where the story, you know, what the story is going to be. Sometimes I just said, hey, let the the you know, the next villain be Dr. Doom. And then when Kirby heard that, got him. He told the truth <laughs> secretly. Like, no, he said it in print. He's trying to build them up. Like, no, I got him. Finally in print. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, it, it's very difficult to argue that, hey, this guy never gave credit when we all know, like, the reason why we even know about this stuff is because he, he he's the one who said it. This is, again, Stan, we've said this more than once, Stan Lee's relationship with uh, the people he collaborated with is not Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's not Bob Kane at all. Well, Bob Kane would say, hey, this has been drawn by Bob Kane, and Bob Kane didn't even lift a finger to draw it. It's, you know, it's up totally, this was not that, it was not that case. And all of, all inconsistencies aside and all bickering aside, mm -hmm. it's not something that would have happened without what both of the guys were bringing to the table because Fantastic Four number one, Fantastic Four number one is just not, that's that's where they, that's the start. That is the start. It's, you know, it's, it, and of course it turns into this classic start at the end of the day, but the marching orders are followed and adhered to with Fantastic Four number one. You get to Fantastic Four number two, they're off to the races. Okay, they're off to the races, and it's just a thrill ride all the way through 100. Not that it stops there. Dude, I just they don't even know that they got a. They don't even know they got a hit in issue two because yeah. issue two is so brilliant in the beginning, and it ends so wacky that they go to the scroll world with comic books and say, "This is some of the stuff that's going to stop you." Where it's just like we need to end into this when it's so like to do a second issue. And it's so science fiction. It's just so that's such a sci-fi story with the guys remain on Earth and their cows, and it's like some Twilight Zone type stuff at the end of the day. It's just really wild 
even stuff that they uh, burn was able to tap later that oh the cows gave milk and the milk and the, yeah and the milk, and the milk did this i was like the cows could give milk <laughs> i was like good grief i hope they didn't mate with some of the other cows cow babies you know along the you know the, the the what is it the tainted cow milk but it was just again you look at you look, you look at that first issue you look at that first issue and you have some of the eh, less of sci-fi more like, I think that's more like uh that, that's definitely more more challengers adventure going underground meeting the, the mole man that type of stuff and you know getting out of there before it's too late but then the second one you definitely have some sci-fi then by the third I think honestly by the third if you're a kid reading this the Fantastic Four is great because you don't know what's going to happen oh you, you, you've literally had three issues and it's been different in, in over three different issues it's got to be just a great thrill ride but the in issue three, the one thing that doesn't match the challenges in those uniforms is that the FF had masks. They had Robin like masks. They had yep, yep. the eye things, and then they had the, they had the dominoes. Stan was like, "Wipe that out." <laughs> I'm not doing that to my characters. <laughs> We're giving them costumes. Everyone already knows who they are. Let's not let's not cover. Let's um I mean that's almost akin to um the the what's those guys, the Legion of Superheroes, because they're the ones that kind of took the masks off people and then Fantastic Four had public heroes. So it's not the same thing, but the first, you know, like really trying to outside of obviously Superman, but Superman still had a secret identity, you know, and the challenge the, I mean the, the Legion didn't have a secret identity. They just had code names the Fantastic Four were public heroes in the present day. So it was kind of a little bit different, but it kind of the really getting that ball roll until you get to the X-Men. It's like, why did the X-Men not have masks except for Wolverine? <laughs> Can't anyone tell who the X-Men is? Shouldn't the X-Men know the costumes are just cool? So we're just foregoing the mask on um, Storm and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, the thing of it is, if it's going to be people kind of throw out some of the stuff that they already know about the Fantastic Four. And that's saying that, yes, Stan is going to be overworked. Of course, Kirby's coming in with a lot of stuff and the plots, we've seen some of the plots. And regretfully, some of the historians, well, one of the historians who said he saw a bunch of Stan's plots and that could say, hey, Stan is given one page, two pages, one paragraph, like um, a couple plots, three plots, three paragraphs on a page. We've seen some of that stuff in the Jack Kirby collector, but they don't even want to stand on that anymore. They want to be like, and they say that Kirby kept all of those plots that he got from Stan, like the Avengers 4, all of that stuff. And now they say they never saw that. So that's Mark Evaner, a historian. It's not me making it up. He said it in print in, um, I think, Amazing Heroes. <clears throat> so there were plots that were given. Now that's the thing. You can um, debate how much he added. That's why I always use the um, always use the new the, the New York Herald Tribune article where he gives a plotting session, and you compare that story to FF fifty five. It's well fleshed out, well beyond what we saw in that that thing. And say, no, that was fake. That was fake. He already we already had something. It's like, what is it? The, the writer didn't mistake it. He said they have an ESP session with the artist. That means that the, there's no way to get all that information into the artist. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not functionally illiterate, he's not. You know, I think some of the other stuff he said. And then once that, once Stan, what Kirby was upset about that article, Stan didn't promote it at all. 
and the writer was like, "Hey, Stan, why didn't you why didn't you say anything in your blurbs about the the article we made?" It's like, "Well, you got Kirby upset. Like, uh, you want my my top artist to be you know coming back here and kill me? He thinks I caused this." And you're like, "Oh, because <laughs> he he's like you know he said uh, he they they added it saying that Kirby fell from his chair, which he didn't. He kind of just said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the difference is." Is that Kirby? Roy Thomas said Kirby said a lot, and the writer didn't use any of that. And um, Kirby was a fan of this writer, which is what um, Mark Evaner said. And he was really upset, but he looked at it because obviously he can't take it out on the writer, so he took it. He was upset with Stan, and Stan kind of backed Kirby and said, "I can't promote this thing now." And that's why they did a later thing with um, um, Rolling Stone with after Kirby left. But you could see um, Stan was still sad it's before the funky flashman but um stan was still sad about um kirby leaving so you know it is what it is yeah it is but you know still great work i mean look the behind the scenes i mean we're both comic historians so the behind the scenes stuff for us is really interesting and we got to take it as it is but i always remind myself that you know you know you know despite the uh you know i mean there were good times and there were definitely bad times, but the one thing I can always reconcile all of that stuff with is the great work that they left behind that we can always revisit anytime we choose and really thrill to it. So did, uh, so uh, just to answer the question, no, <laughs> no challenges. Without a doubt, they drew on a whole bunch of the stuff that was already there, but that's just what was done. They were like, okay, we need to do a story. Well, I don't have any ideas. Well, use this. <laughs> use well, this, get I mean one of these. Give them one of these stories. They love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither of them above using something that was already there, but then ultimately once it became, I think feeling that one of the FF stories, the Corgo or something like that, that one might've been a, a, a challenger story, but where they kind of reworked it for that. But ultimately one of the things that um, the flair, the sort of the, the I mean, now it looks kind of cheesy, but at the time, the romantic, you know, like the triangle that was going on in there, the stuff that hadn't been seen in sort of the mainstream comic books outside of, um, <laughs> of you know, Lois Lane having a, a romantic triangle with the same person, with Clark Kent and Superman, where we had this thing where we had this person who's in, sort of engaged, was engaged to read, and she falls for the, the Submariner at the same time. And she has to make a choice within the book. And as we're reading it, we don't know which one she's going to choose. It's that yep. that heavy drama to it. So, yeah. like, but even as a kid, I remember reading it, and I'm looking at this, and I was kind of like, "Wait a minute, hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's the bad guy." He's like, "Yeah, he's the bad guy, all right." <laughs> the, the, the next issue when she's got the picture of him, and then the human torch comes, and he's just like, "Burn." <laughs> <laughs> he, burns he snatches from us and burns it and then the human then, then the submariner comes he comes and appears but he's got this plan with dr doom to to take take sue out and um and then they capture the ff and then the human torch says oh no he's here and the, the, the thing is ready to fight and the human torch comes around there, and then sue stands in front of him i was like oh no you're breaking my heart sue no but it was a real powerful scene and then, of course, the Submariner has to help them because he's captured with them. So the stories were just, they were just really early on, like just really inventing the stuff as they go. And then once they yep. got to the 40, 
issue 44, it just went and just shot through the roof. They, they, they and they created a new superpower for the uh, Submariner that was almost never used again, but it allowed him to defeat Dr. Doom. And But, you know, but good old Submariner, good old Namor and Dr. Doom would get together again for supervillain super villain team up, which was never done anywhere else, mm -hmm. which was never done anywhere else. Hey, just again, just great stuff. And the inspiration, I, I mean, back then you could, I think it was a lot easier just to be inspired by something or use it as a starting point, use it as a framework and go from there. And, you know, it, it just uh, was some, this was just gonna be a common practice, you know, and it was, it was just done. And then now, of course, we look at stuff and stuff needs to be 100% organic. It needs to be 100% original. It wasn't influenced by anything, which is just impossible to do or say. You would have to be in a total vacuum from anything else going on. Everything is inspired by everything is inspired by something else, and it, the obvious influences are there. But to direct and say this is a you know this is just a rip of what was going on in challenges, no. Number one, and then number two, again, if you go back, you can find some stuff where, and it's not too hard if you go through the science fiction stuff where hey, this was the the challenges were easily influenced by a whole bunch of stuff that would have come before. Even the uh, the actual team, even actually the, uh, the the four what is it the four man team was not unique to the challengers. Yeah. So. You know, look, you know, it didn't, you know, things get inspired by other stuff. A lot of stuff gets inspired by other stuff and it doesn't really have any res it doesn't have any resonance. So it really does show, look, you can be inspired by something like a four man team or a superhero, you know, and unless you're really putting something quality into it, it's not going to it's not going to resonate. It's not going to stand. It's not going to stand the test of time. And without a doubt, the Fantastic Four stand the test of time. We will see them in theaters, I believe, in 2023. <laughs> And regretfully, the problem with the challenge is that they lost Kirby, but it went on for like almost 90 issues. Yep. And they kind of gained personalities as it went along. The thing is that people have run away from these characters and they put them in different outfits. When these, like, I think in, in um, Crisis, I know we're dragging this one out. In Crisis over here, um, like um, was it Perez went back to the the early outfits, which looked really cool, and then he did them again in um, in the what's that thing, the Brave and the Bold series, where they're the back they're the backstory of the the the, the side story of the the main team up there and throughout each issue and getting to see Perez do the ch the challengers, which is exciting, and they, of course they're even more daredevil than they are ever, and they're like. It's a real, the end of that 12th issue is a big buildup to the challengers and doing something big with June because June is one of the, even though she, I think in the, in the later series, she married uh, Professor Haley. And then of course, the Jeff Lowe one kind of turned everything on its heel, but yes, there's some good stuff in there too. So, you know, you should be reading both of those series. And if you're a fan, you know, like keep going, there's other, there's other forming group or that sort of dynamic that um, really, it's really an entertaining thing. So that's my last thing to say. I got both of them. That's why I got both. <laughs> you can't, you're not taking my challenges away, saying this is just a, a sorry FF. Nope, they're both quality stuff. Did they ever do an absolute for challengers? An absolute no, edition? A, just the, um, you know, omnibus of all the Kirby issues. So it got uh, all that in one. Maybe one of these days I'll pick that up. I always hold out, like, maybe they'll do an omnibus. I'm not an omnibus, but an absolute edition, and I'll pick it up then. 
I've got, a, well, I have limited room on the bookshelf. So if you're getting oh. on the bookshelf, I usually try to reserve some room for the absolutes because this happened too many, too many times. Like, okay, let me get this. Oh, no. <laughs> they did the absolute. I'm running out of room. I'm running out of room. All right. So I guess that's about it. Um, that's about the size of it. You guys out there want to chime and talk about this? I know there's a lot of people that want to say, you know, now the voice of the stand defenders are kind of gone. So anyone else that want to chime in and we're here to talk and debate. There's no thing. We love both of the guys. Um, I guess Spinarak. Oh, but one with one caveat. Okay. With one caveat. We are definitely willing to talk, definitely willing to debate, but we will play this fair. And if you try to muck rake on stand, we will take you out. Don't, don't. <laughs> All do right. not forget do not forget that okay don't come in here and think for one re for one second okay we take sides when it comes to, to stan lee or to jack kirby okay we love both of them we will yeah. not see either of them malign so regardless of how any regardless of the time frame or how trends go that's where the spinner rack stands so if you step in here okay step correctly because we will and that's the same. Even like Frank Miller, who stood with with um, Kirby on a lot of the things against the original art thing that he was going through for the early work, and they tried to drag Frank in there to say, "Hey, you know, like almost uh, Kirby compared to Stan." And he's like, "Come on, guys, you know what I think about Stan? Like, I mean, you know, like I've used when I was doing Rusty, the, the, the you know, big guy in Rusty Roy, I used a ton of Stan's tricks in it. You know, I, I you know, I." Everyone knows how I feel about Kirby, and you should definitely know how I feel about Stan. So you can love both and not have to tear one down and say one was the, as you said, the Bob Kane of the crew when neither of them owned anything. And Stan had to take Marvel to court as his, in his exec job. It was an ex job he did from <laughs> the 70s on. And he had to, you know, like that's what his job was. His job wasn't getting money from the Marvel books. You know, the only royalty he actually probably really got was the Kiss book from David Anthony Kraft connected with the Kiss people. That was the actual royalty that he got outside of possibly, you know, I don't know if he got any royalties from Ravage or anything like that. Maybe one of those um, graphic novels, he might have got a royalty from the parable. Maybe that one. Yeah. Well, I would say, I would say, look, Stan Lee is a, what normally happens. Normally, Stan Lee is middle management. Mm -hmm. Okay. Normally, middle management does the job, and nobody ever hears about them. Nobody knows about uh, mo most people don't even know about Martin Goodwin, and he's the publisher. Yeah. Okay. You don't know about the editors, or you know, most people don't know who Julie Schwartz was. Uh, they don't know who Mort Westinger was. They don't know who any of these guys were. Stan devised. Uh, he defies that particular convention because of the love that he had for what he was doing. Uh, when he became the face, when he inadvertently became the face of marvel comics and then when they're acquired they're like no we need this guy we want him to stay we want him to stay on because they saw what the they saw what the uh the situation was and how integral he was to making certain that this was still a, a, a viable venture for them mm -hmm. that's the big that is the biggest difference at the end of the day and to be honest everybody should be like yeah this is great this is finally you know he made good this is somebody who went over here was doing the job middle middle management and then it becomes well we're gonna slate him because he was successful and he went on and everybody and he became you know synonymous with marvel comic but look at all these other guys well they helped too and so on and so forth hey this is not stan lee saying hey i did it all on my own as we said already stan gave a lot of credit 
Okay, a lot of credit to everybody that he worked with. And that is has to be something that's remembered. And that is something I'll never stop saying. Did it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, definitely, you know, I'm definitely certain that the criticisms that were uh, brought up, you know, by other uh, people that he collaborated with have some validity in certain in certain areas. But at the same, but in the same breath, this is not, you know, those people who want to turn this, oh, it's now it's turned to like throw scattered stand. No, not here. Not going to happen. The history speaks for itself, and we will always make certain that that history speaks uh, correctly. And with that said, spin a rack. Out. <laughs>